We put you first this morning. Come on, put your hands together.
love in Psalms, I want to read this verse over you. 135 verse 3, it says, shout hallelujah because God's so good. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, he's so good. He's so good. You can grab a seat in God's house this morning. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us, and we just want to take a moment to welcome all of our guests, whether this is your first time in person or you're watching online. Don't the first, can we welcome our guests? I got some special people in the house today. I got my family. We got Lindsay's family. We got people from Mississippi here. So we're so excited and we welcome them as well. But for those of you watching online, if this is your first day or first time being with us, maybe it's your second or third, one of the things we want to ask you to do is to take out your smart device, scan the QR code on the screen, or text D1TEXT to 84576. And you can also grab the connect card from the seat back in front of you. Please fill that out with as much information as you don't mind us having. Hold on to that card until after service or uh, and drop it in one of our giving boxes and meet us in our guest reception. Some of our pastors and leadership team would love to meet you. And so with that being said, I just want to take one more moment to honor the guests this morning. Come on, let's do that. Welcome. We always want to keep you up to date with the things that we have going on. And one of the big things coming up is next Sunday. Somebody say next Sunday is our trucker treat. And we will have uh, a, just, just a whole event for the entire community, that time of outreach. It's a safe alternative for your kids, for your family to be on our campus. And we just want to provide that for our, for our city. So we, one thing we want you to do in partnering with us is to host, uh, be a truck host. For those of you that are creative and you like to design and dress up and have fun, please scan that QR code, sign up for a trunk host. I want to tell you, I don't know if you saw the pictures on social media, but some of you get super creative. We had everything from Sandlot to a bubblegum machine. So please sign up to do that. Uh, there's also a contest with that. So please let all your creative juices flow. It's going to be a great event. It's October 29th from 5 to 7 p.m. We also still need candy. We still would encourage you that Sunday morning to bring as much candy as you can uh, so we don't run out. Again, this is a safe alternative for our city and we want to reach as many people as we can with the love of Jesus. That's one way we get to do that. So that's next Sunday. Also, I mentioned social media. I want to encourage you, share anything that you see us post. Again, we talked about trunk or treat, but maybe this service right now, you're sitting in this house, but there's somebody sitting at home at work that may need to hear this word. And again, I said it last week, but this series has been so good and I don't want anybody to miss what God's doing in this house. So please share that. And last but not least, I want to mention Grow Track. A lot of you've already done it, but we have what is coming up. It's called a day to discover. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. It's on November 5th after service. And I want you to scan the QR code on the screen for a number of reasons. We talk about it all the time that Grow Track isn't just a pathway to membership, but it's a pathway to ministry. We want you to operate in the gifts and calling that God has placed on your life and be in alignment with this house and how we do that. So if you want to be a part of that day, I encourage you take out your smart device or grab the connect card and write on that connect card day to discover. We need an accurate count for uh, food. We're going to feed you that day. It's going to be time of refreshing. Pastor Mark and Pastor Michelle are going to cast some vision, but I encourage you. I strongly encourage you. If you haven't gone through Grow Track yet, you need to because it's going to be special. So are y'all ready for the word today? Are y'all ready to be in God's house today? Well, I want you to act like it and honor our pastors today as they come to the platform. Uh, thank you, Pastor Will. Love you, buddy. And what a great day. Man, I want you to know that that day to discover is so important. As, as Pastor Will said, some of you have been putting off going through Grow Track. 
And um, maybe you said, well, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days. Well, now is one of those days. And um, it's going to be a great day because instead of doing three classes, it's all accelerated into one class that day. And some of you have said for a long time, I want to be a member of this church. I really want to be connected. I want to serve in a ministry. This is your opportunity to accelerate, to have a little lunch with us and to be able to go through that process on that day to discover. So make sure you sign up for that. Well, listen, one of these special moments we have, one of the great moments that we get to do is to have what we call a child dedication, baby dedication, but really we're dedicating the parents to the Lord and uh, we love this. This is so much fun yes, for us. We are so honored to be able to dedicate Miss Adeline Marie Dennis. And if she and her family would yeah. come on up, come on up, we've guys. got mom, Ashley, dad, Jackson, and big brother, Stedman, which feels like we just just were dedicated up here with him. him. It didn't seem okay, like that long ago. Come up here. Yes. <laughs> this is oh, so I awesome. know. I wish you yes. could see the smile. It's just so sweet. You guys may have know. not know this, but here. Adeline is the youngest member of our worship team. And what I mean by that <laughs> is if you've ever gotten here early or you've seen the worship team practice when mom is singing that day, Adeline is either in her mom's pouch with headphones over her <laughs> ears or she is playing around on the stage. So she is definitely going to be a worshiper for That's sure right. as you raise her up. And, you know, I was thinking as I was preparing and asking the Lord for a word over Adeline. Oh, look at oh. big brother. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> how sweet. Um, how I just want to give the Lord praise for her even being here. Okay, because some of you who have prayed with us, she was what, four days old, four days old when they had to get into a helicopter, medical helicopter and fly her to Birmingham. And the words that the doctor said was get ready to stay a couple of months because she, her body was fighting some kind of virus. I know, I know, praise him, praise him. <laughs> But you know what? Because many of you prayed for that's her. Right. Many, her, her family, her family that's in Texas who's watching today, her other grandma and aunt and uncle were praying. And she was out of the hospital, what, in five days? Okay, that y'all need to clap right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Because that's honor to God because what could have been a couple of months the lord touched her and healed her now look at her does it look like anything's wrong with her at all? not at all well i'm so honored this morning jackson and ashley and stedman to be dedicating miss adeline and let me just say this adeline's name as you probably know means noble and i can't help but to think about ruth in the bible and because she was a woman of noble character and because she um, embodied kindness, loyalty, her work ethic, and her bravery. And the scripture over Miss Adeline today is out of Ruth 3.11. So when Boaz said this, her kinsman redeemer said this over Ruth. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you have asked. 
all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And this morning we speak that over her as you guys raise her up in the ways of the Lord. May it be said of Adeline that she is a woman of noble character because she follows the Lord and his word. Amen. 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 Today I get to, like I did before with Stedman, I get the opportunity to present a covenant to you. And as a covenant keeper in this house and in the house of the Lord and in your Christian walk, that we're dedicating her to the Lord, but you to the Lord in your service to God by parenting both your kids and specifically Adeline today. So with that, do you now present Adeline before God in solemn dedication, promising to bring her up in the nurture and the discipline and the love of the Lord by teaching her to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and by regularly fellowshipping with other believers in a Christ-centered church. If so, say we will. And with God's help, do you promise to bless Adeline by modeling the teachings of Jesus and training her in the practice of prayer and guiding her toward her Christ-like character? If so, say we do. <laughs> and do you now commit to pray daily for this miracle of life that's been entrusted to you and to guide Adeline so that in the following of the example of your life, she would come to know Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. If so, say we do. Well, today it's my honor to pray over little Adeline today and believe God that we together will see not only the initial miracle that we saw early on in her little life, but we're gonna see miracles to come in her life in ways we never anticipated. The worshiper in her is going to come out in ways you never anticipated. The blessing hand of God will be upon her. We're going to pray that right now. Congregation, would you stretch your hands out toward them right now as though we're kind of putting our hands symbolically on their shoulders today as we pray. Lord, thank you so much for little Adeline. We bless her today. We speak blessing over her. And God, I thank you for the joy of this journey. God, I thank you that in the midst of trial and struggle and difficulty, you've been the God that sees and the God that provides and you've been faithful and Lord I thank you for every smile that she brings all the love and encouragement that she creates in her home and Lord I pray that she would be a worshiper a woman after your own heart Lord Jesus I pray the joy of the Lord would be her strength and God I thank you that this would be a day in it that we, we would remember for the rest of her life that, Lord, she is dedicated unto you. Lord, we thank you for this couple and this family. We speak blessing over them, over Ashley and over Jackson and over Stedman today. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let's take a picture of this beautiful occasion. Come on. So sweet. And we got a gift that we want to give to you because we just so love and appreciate you guys. Buddy, I love you, man. I'm so proud of you. Can you give it up for this amazing couple? Come on. This amazing family. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful celebration. And today we continue on in the celebration by our giving. You know, one of the things that we talk about in worship is that we give unto the Lord. And so today as we give unto Him, let it be a sacrifice of praise, an opportunity to worship God together. 
And before I pray over this time of giving, as I've prayed over the last number of weeks, we continue to pray for Israel. We continue to pray uh, for specifically those who are currently held captive. Uh, There are so many innocent lives right now on the line. And uh, we just need to pray for their quick release and their safe release in Jesus' name. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness over us. And Lord, we do pray even biblically over the peace in in Jerusalem. And God, I, I pray specifically for those who are currently bound and held captive with no way of escape, that you would create a way where there seems to be no way. You've shown so many times in biblical history how you released those who were held captive in miraculous ways. Now I pray you would do just that in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, over our time of giving, I ask that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think or imagine as we place our lives in the palm of your hand. I pray that you would do a miracle. As we give, I pray you give back, like you said in your word, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And I thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. And right now, I'd like to call uh, your elders to their stations of prayer. Today, in this exit sign back here, this exit sign back here, there's near there is a prayer wall on either side. And if you have a prayer need of any kind, you can go and write that down place that on the prayer wall. If God's answered your prayer, you need to go and put a red heart on that prayer that you prayed that God has answered. But I also want you to know that we believe in the biblical model of prayer. The Bible says to call upon the elders of the church to pray. And so that's what we're doing today. If you have a a need, maybe you're sick in body or you're standing in for a family or friend or loved one who needs a touch from the Lord today in healing, Or maybe it's a financial miracle or a relational need where uh, those that are wayward could come back and can reconnect. Whatever it might be, today, God is the God of miracles. And we believe that. So so when we all stand, if you want to slip out from where you're at and go and receive prayer, either there or you don't even have to leave the balcony up here, you can receive prayer over here on this side with our elders. But I'm believing with you that the God of miracles is going to intervene on your behalf. Would you stand up and let's worship the King together. Receive prayer if you need that, but worship the King. Nothing. 
As we try to find a rhythm amongst the noise of this world, tuning the strings of our soul to feel we have a place in this orchestra of life, we find sometimes that we get lost amongst the oceans of sound. We dance and move our way through it all to find meaning, just trying to fit into this place and the people around us. Doing this on our own, we find we lose the rhythm. It's only through the grace of God that we truly find our place in this world. When we walk alongside Christ, He fills us with purpose. Only then we truly find our rhythm as we join in His orchestra. We learn to move in sync with God and His plan for us all. Letting God use us, the noise of this world becomes faint and the rhythm of God becomes clear. Well, how many are thankful to be in the house of the Lord today? 
Amen. And can you give it up for those watching online for the first time? Welcome. We're so glad you're joining with us today. And listen, if you're in the Wiregrass area, we would be so honored if you made your connection right here at Dothan First. I promise we'll make you feel at home and connected. And listen, I want to take a moment and give it up for all those who are first-time guests in the building today. Can you once again give it up for them? Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we'd love to meet you right after the service and give you a gift for hanging out with us today. But go ahead, grab your copy of God's Word. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll gladly get a Bible into your hands free of charge. But today, we want to celebrate in what God has given us, His Word. And so every Sunday, we declare this over ourselves. It's a, it may be repetitious to some, but really it's a declaration for all of us that we declare that this Bible is what we put our foundation of faith in. Grab your copy of God's Word. Say this with me. Say, I am what God's Word says I am. I can do what God's Word said I can do. I can become all that God said I could be. So today, I'll hear God's Word. I'll receive God's Word. And I'll obey God's Word because I love His Word. Now turn to your neighbor and say, watch your toes. He might step on them today. I'm just saying, you never can tell. You just don't know. <laughs> turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6, we're talking about this series, Purpose Matters. And specifically today, I want to talk to you about this title, I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up. Let's look at it, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It says, God says this, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to what? Everybody say, know me. I want you to know me. God wants relationship. What he's saying is, I don't want just lip service out of you. Okay? I don't want you to just say I love you. I don't want you to just show up to church as your sacrifice. I want you to really know me and really love me. And as a believer in this house, we want to establish and cultivate three really specific things in your life. And that is first and foremost, the closeness with God. And then after we've developed the closeness and encouraged you with the closeness to God, then we want to help establish in you the character of God. And then finally, we want to help you fulfill your calling before God. So we've been talking about this over the past number of weeks. The first thing I talked to you about is the very first purpose in life. If you are wondering what life's all about and where you should put your time, energy, and effort and priority, the answer is quite simple. It's throughout biblical history. It's written in the Old and the New Testament. But the very first thing is to worship God, to make him first place in your life. That's number one. That's numero uno on the list. If you miss that one, you miss the reason you're living. And then the after worship is a close connection, and Jesus described this as love God, and then the second is to love people, that he wants us in the family of God, he wants us connected to the family of God, he wants us to commit to his house and to his family, he wants us to make it a habit of ours. Matter of fact, you'll never get anything worthwhile that, that you, you just wish for. Friends, you, but you got to work for it. Come on. You, you, you can't just wish it. You got to work for it. And that takes commitment. That takes sacrifice. And that leads us to the third purpose of life. 
And that is beyond the worship of God and loving God and then second, loving people. The third then becomes the conduct of your character, which is called the process of discipleship. Discipleship is not an end. It is a process. The process of discipleship. The areas in which God wants you to grow up into a place of maturity. This is something that we have to work at. This is where it defines the difference between are you in like with God or are you in love with God? Because when you're in love with someone, you give all to that person. You give it all. It's not like you half-heartedly, you know, if you're in like with someone, you might give them a little bit of your time and a little bit of attention, a little bit of value. But truly, when you're in love with someone, man, you give your all. All to Jesus I surrender, right? This is the picture of the cost of commitment. This is discipleship 101. It's where we grow up spiritually. Now, the word disciple really is just another word for student or learner. That's all it is. It's a, it's, it's a lifelong learner. That's what, is, that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And many people today, they grow old, they just never grow up right? They get stuck in spiritual immaturity. They're saved, but they're shallow, right? So this picture of discipleship goes much deeper and takes much longer. Those of you that are parents in the room, how awful would it be if you had a child and they never grew into a place of maturity? And let me stop and quickly just interject this. As parents, I realize some of us grew up in a culture and maybe two generations before us that they say, do what I say, and you say, why? And they say, because I said so. And I understand that generationally now, as parents, we've come and we've let the pendulum swing over here to the idea that we have to explain everything to our child. And I think there's a balance point in the pendulum where I understand that there are times where we need to do what the they say just because they're the authority figure in life. And yet there's other times where you have to explain things to help them grow in the process of understanding. But let me just say this. Some of us have left what we had over here just to give our kids all the license and all the excuse to not be disciplined. And so then they become immature. And then you wonder why at 40 years old they're playing video games in your basement instead of being productive. We can't, we can't blame the kids if that's what the parent trained them is okay. Let me just tell you this, those of you that are old school, I just got to say, there have been plenty of times in my life where the God of the universe asked me to do something and I said, why? And he said, because I, come on, look, I'm preaching better than you're letting on, but I'm just saying, I lived it, friends, and I live it all the time. There are times where we have to be learners under discipline. And as a, as a, a parent, man, I, I loved it when my kids were little because my favorite song to sing was, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. Yeah, right? But in reality, <laughs> I wanted them growing up and I'm thankful that they are grown up and mature, right? The model of perfect maturity was Jesus Christ on the earth. And so our desire is to become more like Christ, to grow up, right? When we get to heaven, friends, you're not taking your cash, you're not taking your car, you're not taking your career, but you are taking your character. 
That's what God wants. That's why you're, you're still on the earth and still breathing. That's why after you said yes to Jesus, he didn't strike you with lightning and then you hurry up and get to heaven. You have now the opportunity to develop the character of Christ. Romans 8, 29 says the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should become what? Like his son, like Jesus. That's why he left you on the earth so you wouldn't be spiritual babies, that you would grow up in the character and the maturity of Christ. And that is, as I said, a never-ending process. And it requires practice. As a matter of fact, that's why we're here on the earth and specifically here in churches. We're practicing loving each other. There's a whole bunch of us in the room, me included, that are imperfect human beings, that are frail, fragile, and sometimes foolish. And so we get to practice on each other even though we make mistakes. Yeah. We're in an environment where, where this, the, the, the church is an incubator <laughs> for cultivating and birthing and developing the character of Christ in us. Some of the things that we practice, as you know, is reading God's word, God's love letter, God's instruction manual for living. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instruction, and then you'll prosper. Then you'll succeed in all you do. He wants you to learn the word so that you can then obey the word. It's not just to read it so that you can say you did your devotions that morning. And then prayer, talking to God. These are some of the elements of discipleship that we talk about. Prayer isn't just talking to God about all the things you want and writing out the wish list like he's a spiritual Santa Claus or something, right? We're praying so that we can, at the end of our time talking, then we can quiet ourselves enough to hear his, the impressions in our spirit that he speaks or understand his word clearly so that we can better, listen, obey him. That's the ultimate goal. That's why Jesus, at the end of one of the greatest prayers ever prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed all these things to the Father, and at the end, he concluded with, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says it like this, let us go on to become mature. Everybody say, become mature. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor, look at him, say, hey, just become mature. It's time to grow up, right? It's time to become mature in our understanding as, here it is, as strong Christians should. So how do you know if you're mature? How do you know if you're a strong Christian? Well, you're representing Christ well. You're Christ's ambassador. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. They, those, uh, those New Testament believers didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians because they were acting like Christ. They were acting like Christ. They were representing him so well. People just called them Christians. Colossians 1.15. We look at the Son, Jesus, and we see God's original purposes in everything he created. God says, from the beginning, my original purpose is that you become like my Son in character, in wisdom, in values, in who you are, in what re you represent, in the truth of God, in the faithfulness of God, you're becoming like Christ. You're, you're patient and you're forgiving like Jesus. That means if you're rude, if you're obnoxious, if you're mean-spirited, if you're backbiting, if you're gossiping, if you're treating people poorly, you are spiritually immature even if you call yourself a Christian. The question isn't what you call yourself. The question is what do others see in you and call you? Are you a Christian? 
So if we're going to think and talk and act like Christ, how are we going to do that? Right? According to Philippians 2.5, it says in your lives you must think and, and act like Christ. So if you're going to do that, what, how are you going to do that? Well, Jesus was the perfect picture of maturity on the earth. And he was full, the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit. Right? He, he was full and overflowing with the Spirit. And how was that manifested? Well, it's clear. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It's the character of Christ within you. It's the proof that you've truly been with the Spirit of God. It's spiritual maturity. So God wants you to love like Jesus and God wants you to have joy like Jesus and patience like Jesus and kindness. So how does God of the universe teach you these amazing things about the character and nature of Christ in you? How does he do it? Well, if he wants to teach you love, he just puts you around some unloving people and see how good you're going to do it. Right? If he wants to give you peace in your life, what happens? There's storms all around you and he has to stand out in the bow of the boat in the middle of the storm. Didn't say the storm didn't come. Right? How do you learn patience? Go to the DMV. This is how God teaches you. The DMV here is very good. I have to say I'm very proud of... Friends, there's no pill or magic formula to the development of the Christ-like character within you. As a matter of fact, I've never grown in my life, I've never grown up in my life when all is good. I have almost always grown during controversy and challenge and difficulty and moments that drove me to my knees to say, God, I can't do this in myself. I need your Holy Spirit in me to guide me, to lead me. The goal of life is learning unselfishness. It's not about you. Just go ahead and, well, I was going to say turn to your neighbor, but you can just turn to yourself and say, say it's not about me. It's not about me. Galatians chapter 5 goes on to say this as it relates to the operation of the fruit of the Spirit that I just described, the Christ-like character. It says, since we live by the Spirit, verse 25 and 26, let us keep in step with the Spirit, right? This is basically the rhythm of God, that you're stepping when He steps, you're stopping when He stops, right? That you're in the step, you're in the rhythm, you're marching orders, you've got connection with Him, you're in tune with the Spirit, you've got a harmony. You, have you ever had somebody, and maybe you were in church, and uh, the worship team was singing wonderfully, and uh, just the beautiful melodies and harmonies and right behind you happened to be someone that was a little tone deaf and they sang not only off key but loudly off key and and so sometimes that that uh, vocal tone becomes somewhat of an irritant in the body of Christ I'm not saying any of you that are tone deaf you're worshiping God and that's great and I love that listen what I'm saying is the voice that sounds most like Jesus is in harmony with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. The voice that has the character and nature of Christ in it is in tune with the Spirit. But those of the body of Christ who are having a sound or a tone that is not like the Master is an irritant in the body of Christ. We got to keep in step with the Spirit. It goes on to say, let us not become conceited, provoking 
and envying each other. Uh, another translation says not arrogant, not jealous of each other and what each other gets and doesn't have. Not provoking each other. I don't know how many of you remember this, but when I was growing up and we'd go on vacations, we didn't have all these fancy DVDs and all this stuff that when we travel, and so we'd travel for miles and for hours, and I'd be with my sister, and I would just get the spirit of provoking. I would. The spirit of provoking came all over me with my sister. And so I'd mess with her, and I'd poker. I'd, you know, she'd say that this is my side. And so I'd, I'd just get right, right there. I'm, I'm on my side. Or she would say, stop touching me. And then my parents in the front would say, stop touching her. And then I would go all around her face and go, I'm not touching you. I'm not. That's provoking. And so it is in the body of Christ when we act a fool and then we say we're a Christian, right? When we speak to people poorly, when we're backbiting or gossiping in church, we're disunifying the body of Christ. And it's unbiblical, it's ungodly, but it's also, it's immature. It's immature. We've got to be rooted and grounded in Christ. You've got to stay connected to the root of the Spirit in order to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Are you following this? Right? You can't grow in the character of God without having the, first the closeness to God. Jesus said, I don't do or say anything except what the Father tells me to do. Look, if the Savior of the universe has to wait and check his own tongue before he says, come on or thinks, or does anything, how much more so do we need to be aligned in such a way where our spirits and our minds are connected so closely, we're so in tune and in step with the Spirit that we wouldn't want to say anything that's outside of the character or nature of God. Why? Because we've got the Christ-like character development in us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, the Spirit of the Lord works within us. We become more and more like Him. We become. It's a process. Matter of fact, every problem has potential in your life to help you to grow in spiritual character. There's no situation you can't grow from if you just trust Jesus. Learn to respond the right way. The problem is, as I said, we grow old rather than growing up. We, be, we remain spiritual babies. The New Testament talks a lot about that. Where we're not responding the right way. We're 100% self-centered. It's I, me, mine. What do I want? What's my preference? Right? I want it and I want it now. This is what babies do. They scream. They, they, they have their feelings and their moods are more significant to them than the reality of what's going on around them. Immaturity. Immaturity is wanting your rights while neglecting your responsibilities. John 15, 8 says it like this. When you bear fruit, you're proving. Everybody say proving. You're proving you're my disciples. That's God's DNA test. He's checking to see if you're really his. And the DNA test, the fruit of the spirit in your life is the Maury Povich proof in your life that you, who your daddy really is. Are you getting this? So what happens if you're not bearing fruit? Well, John 15 goes on to say that if you're not bearing fruit, I'll cut you off and throw, and throw you in the fire. 
I mean, this is crystal clear, friends. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't cookie cutter this thing. He says, if you're not bearing fruit, you're cut off and cast into the fire. But then interestingly in John 15, it goes on to say that we're all going to get cut. Just look at your neighbor and say, we're all going to get cut. Here it is. You ready for it? He says, if you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to cut you off. However, if you are bearing fruit, I'm going to prune you. Oh, I don't like to be pruned. I don't like to be pruned. As a believer, God wants to prune us to make us, listen, to make us more fruitful than we currently are. That means you can't settle for status quo. You can't give place to second best. You have to put in your mindset that I will continually grow in Christ daily. Have you done anything for God that you really didn't want to do? Think about it. Have you ever had the courage to stay committed when you had the right to leave? Or conversely, have you ever had the guts to leave something you liked just because it was not God's purpose for your life, not God's will for your life. This is the mark of maturity here. The measure is not what I want, it's what you want, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. God, if there be any way in me that seems unfitting or selfish or self-centered, Lord, cut it off. Trim it back. Pruning is the process of cutting away that which is unnecessary in order that we can bear more fruit. And if you don't start pruning, you'll get cut off. This is a scary thought. I'm going to turn our attention to the family tree of Abraham for a little bit. And it's going to seem a little awkward or off-putting for just a moment. But stay with me. It's biblical and it's accurate. God said that he would make Abraham the father of many nations. When that happened, Abraham was with Sarah. He was 75 years old. He got this promise and he waited around till he was 86. And it doesn't say necessarily that he, Abraham, lost faith specifically, but Sarah was the one, his wife, who was at this point beyond childbearing years. Come on. She was going through the phase Night sweats and irritability and the whole nine. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I heard for you guys say, uh-huh, yeah, Lord, yes. <laughs> Before I get anybody in trouble, Sarah's beyond childbearing years and she has an idea. We have this Egyptian handmaiden named Hagar. Why don't you go be with her? And have a child through her. Okay, now this is, they waited 11 years for this promise to come to pass and it didn't happen. I want you to follow this. Okay, so often when I look at this situation, I think to myself, not only is this insane, but this would never happen with my wife. Let me just tell you right now. Why don't you go be with that little honey right there? Nuh-uh, I promise that won't happen. Million years, I'll bet my house on it. I'll bet my life on it too, because that's what it would cost me. Anyway, I want you to listen to this. They didn't have artificial insemination back then, friends. This was, this was at their time a surrogate mother. 
They, they, they wanted a child so badly that they were willing to go outside the bounds of what was considered natural. And they were willing to skirt around what God wanted in order to get the promise for themselves. And it didn't work well. Hagar has Ishmael. And you remember parts of this story. First of all, Sarah was mad when she was pregnant and sent her away. And Hagar came back. It's a very interesting story. Sarah was the one that in, invited her in, and now Sarah's the one that's kicking her out. Okay, that's the first time. Then she has the child. Hagar has Ishmael. And now Ishmael is grown to be now 13 years old. And, and it, you see this process unfolding that now God is about ready to fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham 25 years earlier. Now he's almost 100 years old. And God says, now it's time that Sarah's going to have a baby. She, he waited till his and her flesh seemed incapable. And then said, now it's time to birth a promise. Jesus became, and called, he was the seed of Abraham. Let's just, there's something significant about this moment. It wasn't just a miracle birth story. But Isaac now is born into the house. The Bible says that, that when he turned the right age, he was being weaned from his mother. The Bible says that they threw a party. Abraham's throwing a party because both of his boys are in the house. Both of his boys. And in the process of this party, Sarah sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac. Mm. What do you do when your mistake mocks your miracle? What do you do? Think about it. I mean, I know I'm hard on Sarah, and sometimes I, I think, you know, man, Abraham's just sick of Sarah because she's telling him to do this, and then she does that, and then telling him to do this, and all this. But, but I want you to understand, when your destiny is being mocked by your history, when those things of your past keep coming back into your mind that you could never fulfill what God has truly established, and what happens? She gets mad. And she kicks him out. She sends him packing. Let me tell you something about this story. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to where I'm at. But let me just pause and say this. If you want to see what a rejected little boy looks like, look at the war in Israel. If you want to see what a rejected little boy looks like, Ishmael is the Arab's. Isaac is the father of Israel, right? The, the nation. These are two brothers that are only, they're just fighting over daddy's inheritance for thousands of years. That's all this is. All right, let's get back to the story. So now, but right before, right before Ishmael is leaving, right before he leaves, God speaks to, to Abraham says in Genesis 17, let's look at it, verses 24 through 27. God talks about this unique covenant that he makes. And he, the Bible says he cut covenant with God at, at the age of 75. Now he's cutting co covenant with God in a different way as a sign of the outward sign of the covenant here. It says that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. 
God had asked him to have an outward sign of an inward covenant. And this was it. It's kind of a weird sign. And it's a very weird sign to talk about in church, if I'm being honest. But because it happens to be in the Old and the New Testament, I'm going to talk about it. Because it has to do with cost. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. Everybody say, same day. Every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household were brought, uh, or, or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham was circumcised when he was 99. Can, can you imagine, guys, ladies, you have no clue what I'm about to talk about. But gentlemen in the room, no pain pills, no medication, no band-aids, no anesthesia. The Bible says he took a sharp rock. And this is what he did to himself. And not only that, but when he, as his son, a 13-year-old boy. Hey, son. Let me tell you what it's like to be a real man of God. The question here is got to be, why are they doing all this? Is it to make them a believer? No, they already believed. Abraham believed before the circumcision took place. It's important that you understand that you can walk with God for a very long time, even 99 years, and still have some unnecessary flesh in your life that is time to cut it away. For Abraham, circumcision was a sign saying, in order to get what God has for me, I've got to put my flesh under control. Let's now move to the New Testament and see what it says about circumcision. Let's read in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 to understand what this means for us today. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely an outward or physical thing. No, a man is a Jew or a believer, if you will, if he is one inwardly, and listen, circumcision is the circumcision of what? Of the heart, by the spirit, not the written code. So what he's saying, he's, he's not talking now about physical circumcision. What he's saying is he's talking about your conduct. He's talking about heart issues that will stop you from possessing your promise. God's saying, you can walk with me for a very long time and there comes a place where there's still some flesh, some carnal issues that must be dealt with. God's saying, if you want to receive my promise, you've got to stop right where you're at and deal with your flesh, your attitudes, your behaviors, your hidden sin, your issues. This is as far as I'll let you go, God says, without dealing with yourself. And friends, God loves you so much that he'll stop you on the backside of the promise to allow you to confront some of those areas that are outside of the control of Christ. Nobody else is going to do it for you. <laughs> Got to circumcise yourself. Colossians chapter 2. Let's keep reading in the New Testament about this. It says, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the what? The sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but listen, by the circumcision that's done by Christ. Christ is going to help you. You're not alone in the process of discipleship. But circumcision is literally the trimming back of that which you can do without. The trimming back of the fleshly part that's not essential any longer. 
God's saying, before I can take you further, there's got to be a trimming process. There's got to be a pruning process, and it's called the cost of discipleship. Galatians 6.15 says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So now he's making it abundantly clear. What was done in Abraham's time was a temporary picture of an exterior sign of an inward covenant. But with us as believers, when Christ came as the covenant keeper and the promise keeper and the fulfiller of all the laws and the prophets, now he says, I'm way more interested in your heart. I'm way more interested in how you treat people. I'm way more interested in those little areas that you've allowed to go unchecked, even though the Holy Spirit's been nudging you every time you do it. He says, I'm not going to go any further till you cut back that part that creates a convenient place for the enemy to attack. Cutting back the part that's vulnerable to uncleanness, cutting back that part that makes me, keeps me from being productive as a believer, right? You can try to name it and claim it to try to get God's blessing, but until you cut it, you can't have it. There comes a placement in your life where you realize there's something that God is trying to do surgically in my heart but because of my unwillingness, or I've been in this a long time, don't you know how long I've been a church member? Don't you know how long I've been a part of the body of Christ? Don't you know how long I've, t I've had the title Christian? I, matter of fact, us looking down on younger believers who haven't fulfilled all the things that you've fulfilled is such a scary place of judgment, friend. Never forget when Jesus had these religious who knew the scriptures better than just about anybody in this room. I can about guarantee it because those Pharisees, at least high priests and, and most of those Pharisees, had the first five books of the Bible memorized. So when you get that down, call me. And these who had the five, first five books and then Psalms and Proverbs, most of, most of them memorized by heart from the time they were little until the time they were old and had all the titles and the tassels to prove how spiritual they really were. And Jesus looked at them because they had prayed for a Messiah and overlooked him when he showed up. They, he said to them, prostitutes and sinners are getting into heaven ahead of you because you do not possess Christ-like character. You can't afford to go backwards. God's calling you forward, friend. God says if there's not a trimming process, then you can't go where I want you to go. Matter of fact, you're going in places and in directions and in your attitude and in your behavior and in your gossip or your backbiting or your, your uh, selfishness or self-desire. Self, uh, you're going places that I've not authorized. So now he says the trimming process has to take place to confront your own tongue, to confront your attitudes, to confront your behavior before God can trust you with his promises. That means you can't go where you used to go and you can't do the things you used to do and you can't say the things you used to say. Lord, I need you to trim my tongue, my attitude, my behavior, my conduct, cutting away those things that I used to be able to do. Now I'm spiritually sensitive. Friends, God's trying to write the most important chapters of your life 
And he's saying, you've been in this too long to have aborted your promise because you're unwilling to cut away those things that are unnecessary. When you're, you're most vulnerable when you walk through challenging times, and Satan knows that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we prepare to close. Friends, these are the days where we're most likely to be attacked spiritually. Why? Because it's always on the cusp of something great. It's always when you're taking territory, when you're taking ground for the kingdom of God. It's when you're stepping closer to the battle lines that you're most vulnerable for attack. And this is the time to get things right on the backside of the mountain, so to speak, instead of going around the mountain like you've been doing. To trim away those areas that are unnecessary. To cut covenant with God. Abraham's promise was about to be seen in Abraham's practice. The symbol of cutting covenant with God. God asked Abraham, first of all, I can just tell you, he asked Abraham to cut away his flesh three different times. It's not descript in the scriptures that way, but the first one was he cut away his own flesh when he had his process of circumcision. But then the Bible says that even though Sarah said, do this, send Hagar and Ishmael away. Send away your son. Why? Because she didn't birth this one, but Abraham did. He had a process in this. That was his little boy. That was his DNA flowing through that little boy's body. And he had 13 years to get connected to that little boy. And the Bible says that God said, go ahead and listen to your wife and send, her, send them away because I will take care of them and I'm still going to make him a mighty nation. Think about this. So he had to circumcise his own flesh again by sending away Ishmael. That's why when it happened the third time, when God says, well, what about Isaac? Time to sacrifice your promised child. Now, in our context, we're not into baby killing, so let me just make it abundantly clear what the Bible is saying and not saying. But the, the scriptures clearly indicate that there was a sacrifice to be made, and God was checking and the Bible says that Abraham woke up early in the morning and took his son, Isaac, and brought him up to the place of sacrifice with the intention of doing whatever God said to do. Isaac's now old enough to look at his daddy and say, what, what are you doing, dad? What are you doing? He said, I showed my other boy what it means to be a man after God's own heart. I'm about to show you the same. It means when you give your all to him, all to Jesus, I surrender. Those aren't just words. That's an atmosphere you create in your life between you and God. So the, the first time was the, sac the, the, the sacrifice or the cutting away of his flesh through circumcision. The second was when he had to give up Ishmael. And now he's on his way to giving up Isaac too. He was learning how to, giving, to give up things in obedience to God to prove that he did love God more than he loved what God gave him. Do you love what God gives you and that's why you're serving him? Is it because you're an American Christian? Is it because you're in padded pews in a, a, a beautiful city? 
Is it because you have gasoline to pay for and you got a car that's running and you got a roof over your head with air conditioning and you got the blessings that you asked for? What if those things disappear? Because I can just tell you, friends, there are Christians all over this world that don't have any of the things that you have. Their heads are on a chopping block right now waiting to be executed for their faith. And we as American Christians sit back and if we have a hangnail, we say we're turning our back on God. Friend, there comes a point where you put up or shut up where you say, God, I trust you or I don't. God, I'm going to serve you or I won't. God, it's not just out of convenience. It's a cutting. This is about a cost, the cost of discipleship. Abraham, do you, do you still trust that I'll make you a father of many nations? When you say yes to God, you say yes to everything. That's why in the New Testament, Similar situation, different guy, different situation, but similar. The apostle Peter said he would die with Jesus. I will die with you. I'll never deny you. <laughs> I know what it really means to be a Christian. I'm going to follow you till the end. And Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny you even know who I am. You're acting big, bad, and spiritual right now because you're in the comfortable, air-conditioned, oath and fur sanctuary. When the rubber meets the road, when the hard times come, within a matter of minutes and hours, you're going to deny you even know my name. And that's why after the resurrection, Jesus has a moment with the Apostle Peter who's clearly repentant. And he says, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, you know I do. And then Jesus, like he did with Abraham, asked the second time, do you love me? Peter's like, you know I do. Third time, the apostle Peter's almost too ashamed to answer. But Jesus says, do you love me? A third time. He says, then do something about it. Feed my sheep. The Bible says that there are those of us in this room that by now ought to be teachers. You have enough word in you. You have enough gospel in you. You have enough maturity in you to not act crazy or to act silly or to act foolish or to go outside the bounds of God's word. You've come too far. By now, we ought to be teachers. And God's saying to each one of us in this room, are you in for the comfort and the convenience? Or are you serving the God of commitment and cost? Because God will test you before he promotes you. In order to walk, you got to fall down sometime. In order to be healed, you got to be sick sometime. That's what spiritual maturity is. It, it has to do with understanding painful moments and growing through them. That's learning the value of your salvation. Are you taking for granted the value of your salvation? Our generation wants it fast and quick and now fly it. I will click a button in my house and in my robe and a drone will drop what I asked for. And if, if I don't get it within the time period that was allotted, I'm going to blow a gasket when it took people a hundred years 
to save up their whole life to have access to what we throw pennies at. I want you to think about the cost of commitment. Are you really in it? God's process to, is, to get his promise to you is going to cost you everything. Salvation is free, but the cost of following Christ says you must take up your cross daily. Daily. Matthew 7.15 says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Galatians 5.17 says, you are not to do whatever you want. 2 Timothy says, don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Are you walking by the flesh or by the spirit? The fruit of the spirit, friends, will change your character. It'll change your personality. It'll change what you're trying to get away with that you no longer can. Well, I'm mad at that so-and-so guy. No, you died to the flesh. I'm offended. No, you're not because you died to the flesh. I want my way. No, you don't, because that's not what a Christian does. I want to say what I want. No, you can't, because that doesn't represent Christ and his conduct or his character. This is, friends, just the simple cost of discipleship. Corinthians 13, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, primarily because I'm a drummer. 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak... In all the languages of the earth and of the angels. In other words, if I'm so spirit-filled that I, that I overflow with the gifts. He says, but do not love others. I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I don't know what a clanging cymbal sounds like as an irritant. Because I, in my household from the time I was little, was the one banging the cymbal. Usually when you're hitting the cymbal, it doesn't bother you like the people that are around you having to listen to it. I'm asking you, friends, to, to evaluate your life right now and determine in your own heart, am I walking in the Spirit or am I walking according to the flesh? Because those things of the flesh will never produce anything for God. As a matter of fact, they'll get in the way of producing things for God. But if you're willing to cut those fleshly parts of you away and submit that to the creator of the universe, he says, I will make you more productive. I will make you the father, spiritually the spiritual father and mother of many nations. You will have many. Why? Because you're mentoring the many. You're evangelizing the many. You're doing what God asked of every disciple. Before he left the earth, he looked at those who had followed him. And he said something that I think we all, he was calling out to all of us when he said, go into all the world. Not to tell yourself how great you are, not to build up yourself, not to just live how you want, but go and live out the gospel. Love God. Love people. Accept the cost of discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your amazing love, your word that never returns void. And now in these moments of reflection, we recognize that, Lord, your word has never changed. 
it's crystal clear. You have expectations of those who say that they follow you. You're not looking for lip service. You're asking for discipleship, for followers. Lord, I pray in this room for every Christian that's here that names your name and loves you. I pray this would be, Lord, a gut check where we would try to really let the Holy Spirit evaluate those areas that are out of alignment with your spirit. And then, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that's away from God, that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe they've allowed sin to separate them from God. Maybe they're a prodigal and they've been running from God. Maybe they've never known the Lord and what it really means to serve God. Or maybe in this room, there may be those that are simply religious, but don't have relationship. But Lord, whatever category we all happen to fit into today, I pray we'd all be submitted to your word and your will, your plans and your purpose. If you just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, there may be some in this room or watching online, you fit into one of those categories. And I'm gonna put all the categories in together, off and all, separate the categories into those who don't know the Lord or those that have sinned that's separating them from, the, from God. And then finally, to the Christians, to the believers who just need to get their hearts circumcised, if you will, cutting away those things that are unwholesome. The Bible talks about letting none, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The Bible says that even our, our futile words will be, will be taken into account. But the Bible says that we can be free from all of it. The Bible says he can throw our sins as far as the east is from the west if we repent. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from your unrighteousness. So today, you have an opportunity. As a Christian in the room, I'm inviting everybody into this moment. If you're a Christian in this room and you say, Mark, I got some uncircumcised areas in my heart. God's kind of pricking my heart to say, I need to adjust some things. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to invite you into this moment, in this prayer. If that's you, Christians in the room, or those of you who'd say, Mark, I've got sin that's separating me from God, and I need to come back to the Lord, or I need a fresh start, or I, I want to make sure that my heart's right before God. In any of those categories, Christians or those who have never heard except for today, all of you in this room, if that's you, I want you to slip up your hand, and by that raised hand, indicating, Mark, that's me, include me in this prayer. Come on, God sees it when you lift it. Yeah, all over this place, there's probably a hundred hands that are already lifted. You're not alone, friend. I promise you. In this room, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Amen. Yeah. Hands all over the place. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I invite you into this moment so that I can pray a prayer of faith with you. The first prayer I want to pray over all of us. I want to pray that God does something strategic. That he breaks off the chains of religion, that he breaks off the chains of things that would keep us from being productive believers. That's the first prayer I'm going to pray over you. So Lord, in this room, we thank you. We thank you that you've, God, given your son as a sacrifice and then taught us to follow in that sacrificial picture by taking up our cross daily. 
So I ask that as we take up our cross, that we lay down our flesh. Lord, thank you for cutting away those unnecessary areas that would keep us from producing spiritual fruit. And God, I pray over every believer in this house that we would have the fruit of the Spirit as the proof, the DNA proof that we are truly His. And now, Lord, I pray for those who don't know you or are away from you, that they would come back to you during this prayer. I'm going to invite you into this prayer. Everyone in this room, I want you to pray this prayer out loud, but especially you who lifted your hands. Can you say this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent for all I've done wrong. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing me. I choose to trust you with every area of my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you stand up all over this house and give God the praise that he deserves? Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you. Come on, let's sing together. today, friends, that word of both encouragement and challenge, take it to heart. The Bible talks about being not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. My encouragement is this, 
Let us be spirit-sensitive people. Spirit-sensitive. That means even in moments where you just want to go off on somebody, you want to let loose on somebody, you want to say something, you want to write something on Facebook, whatever it might be, that you, you submit that first to the Spirit of God inside of you. You say, Christ, be magnified in me. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and bring you peace. And may the Lord our God write his name on your hearts and declare you're my child. No one can take you from my hand. May you know the love of your Savior that came and died for you and rescued you. And may you give that love away to as many as humanly possible. I bless you to be a blessing to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your classmates, to those on your social media and sphere of influence. I bless you to be a blessing to win our world with the love of Jesus Christ. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of today? Hey, I pray you did. God bless you. We love you. Have a Jesus-filled week. We'll see you either this Wednesday or next Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed.